If you will, turn in your Bibles to the 14th chapter of the book of Romans as we continue our study through the Word. What an extraordinary book the book of Romans is. Remember, Paul is writing to those Christians that are there in Rome. He had wanted to, intended to go and to visit them, but had not yet been able to. And, and so he, he sits down and, and pens out this letter. And we looked and the first eight chapters of Romans is just the most glorious presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you know, we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is a free gift from God. And so the first eight chapters really lay out the theology of the new covenant. And now as the new covenant has eclipsed the old covenant, the question is, what about the nation of Israel and God's plan for the nation of Israel? And so so chapter 9 and 10 and 11 looked at the nation of Israel, past, present, and future. And, and that brought us to chapter 12. And, and chapter 12 really begins with, you know, understanding who are we as Christians? Now that we're a Christian, what, what's the purpose in our life? How should we live as a believer? We're not underneath the law. We are under grace. So what does that mean? And you'll remember that in chapter 12 begins with, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves living sacrifices uh, unto God, which is your just and reasonable service. And, and so now our identity is in Christ. Our identity is as a servant uh, of uh, God. And our purpose is to bring glory to God. And so now as a servant of God, uh, how should we live? And we saw that the end of chapter 12 really dealt with these exhortations into holy conduct and Christian uh, living. And, and then as we got into chapter 13, we see that as a believer, we are to be in submission to authority. And so God has created three institutions, the family, the church, and the government. And there is an order and a submission that is necessary in, in all of those. And so we were exhorted to be in submission to our government. The Bible will tell us to be in submission to one another. We're in submission to the authority of, of God. And so so here we are as ambassadors or representatives of Jesus Christ. We want to be in submission to that authority and also to the teaching of Christ. And, and then afterwards, uh, we saw that we were called to love our neighbor, to love one another, that the whole law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then we also saw that we are to put on Christ as we come now to this 14th chapter, Paul is really going to be talking about how we deal with one another as believers. What about the, the family of God? How do we conduct ourselves uh, uh, with the body of Christ? And, and so there were divisions and there was judging that was going on. Christians judging other Christians and factions. And, and we see that God's desire is, is that we would rise above our differences and put on the the mind of Christ. There's unity in the mind of Christ. We live in a culture that is 
tremendously divided now. And we are growing in our division, the straining in the fabric uh, of our nation. And, and so the, the church, the place of the church is, is the call to unity. Unity in the body of Christ. And so when people come into the church, they see this amazing love that is going on. Jesus said, you'll know that you're my disciples by the love uh, that you have one for uh, another. And, and so here Paul is kind of instructing the church into this unity. And, and so you had young believers and you have more mature believers. And remember that they are many of the Jews are coming out of Judaism. The old law has passed away and now into this covenant of grace. So we see that there were these believers that were mature, recognizing that they've got liberty in their freedom in Christ. But then there were those that were still kind of holding holding on to their old ways and trying to, to then take and, and work their way, adding works into salvation, then judging others uh, by those works. And, and so Paul is going to be dealing with this attitude uh, of judging one another. Now, one of the backgrounds to this chapter really in one of the flashpoints uh, that was happening had to do with the eating of meat. Now, back in that day, there were many, many different temples around, and, uh, and so people would come and bring sacrifices to these pagan temples, uh, and these priests would turn around, take these sacrifices afterwards, and they would sell them into the markets, and you could get amazing discount on your meat, buying the meat that had been offered uh, uh, up to these uh, idols. Now, to the believer, they were like, wow, filet mignon, Costco prices, fantastic, you know, let's go. And, and others were like, no, are you kidding me? Those had been offered up to idols. We can't touch those. Those, those now are unclean. And, and so we had those that were judging uh, the liberty of others and then others looking at them and saying, look, you're locked down in, in bondage. And, and so we had these divisions that were taking place. And what Paul is going to use is a couple of different uh, examples, but really the issue is when we start judging other believers, that, that we recognize that every single one of us is being discipled by God into the image and likeness of Christ, that we're his uh, workmanship. And so we shouldn't be judging each other. We should be loving each other and praying for each other. And we should be unified. Now, in the world, uh, we're constantly, the world constantly measures one against the the other. It's called keeping up with the Joneses. There's, a, there's an expression for it. It's how am I doing? And you know, when we're socialized, we're young. Am I prettier than you? Am I smarter than you? Am I faster than you? Am I richer than you? Am I better than you? Am I more stylish than you? Am I more powerful than you? And, and so there is always this vertical integration of measuring ourselves up against one another. Now, when we come into the church and we're saved, we're a child of God, we're not to be comparing and to measuring ourselves against one another. When you measure and judge, what the end result is going to be is pride. You're going to become prideful in, in how you are doing when you start to compare yourself to others. And we can even do that in, a, in our faith. And it was entering into the church. And Paul is saying, there's no place for it in the church. There's no place for that uh, in the church. And so let's see as he discusses now in, in detail this issue. He says in verse 1, Receive one who is weak in the faith, 
but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. And uh, so we see that within the fellowship, there isn't to, uh, to be a requirement of spiritual maturity to be able to come in. People get saved and they're brand new baby Christians. And then others have been Christians for a year or two. And then uh, others have been Christians for decades. And, and so how do we all get along with one another. And he says that there is no requirement to fellowship for spiritual maturity. He says, so we're to receive the immature with the mature. But he says, we're not to argue over doubtful things. What are doubtful things? Doubtful things now are those areas that are the non-essentials of our faith. And so here was an issue that was going on. He says, one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Vegetables. What does that mean? Well, uh, remember that when you're eating meat, the question was, was this meat that was purchased uh, in the markets and was tainted by being offered to an idol or not? When you're at a restaurant, how do you know where they got their meat? And so the issue becomes, how can I be certain that I'm not eating meat that's been offered to idols? Well, you know what? Here's a way. I will only eat vegetables. <laughs> so now if I only eat vegetables, I can't possibly be eating any meat to, that was offered unto idols. And so what they did is they exalted that view of like, I am a really careful Christian. I make sure that I don't eat uh, any uh, of the meat that's been offered to an idol. I'm a better Christian than you meat-eating Christian. <laughs> And so suddenly now we see that they're weak in their faith because we see that the clean and the unclean has passed away. That was the way that of the law. But now we see that God is the one that has made all things. And underneath the, oh, the new covenant, we're going to see that all things are clean. And so there are those who walk in that liberty, but they were judging the mature view of clean and unclean. Now, through a narrow lens and looking at the mature believer and believing that they're actually a better Christian than these mature believers who were walking in their freedom. And so we see here that uh, Paul is talking about not disputing over these doubtful things. He says, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. And in other words, we're both Christians. Jesus Christ died for the meat eaters and he died for the vegetarians. And so all of us have been saved by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So when we start to say, who's a better Christian than another Christian, we see that we are headed down the wrong path. And, and that's what Paul says. He says in verse 4, who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls indeed. He will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. In other words, God is the one that is helping each and every one of us be molded and shaped into the image and likeness of Christ. This, our sanctification is a, a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not a fleshly work. We are not conforming ourselves into the image and likeness of Christ. And so in those areas that we need to grow in, God is going to grow us. And God is the one that's able to make each and every one of us stand. And 
What's interesting is the way that God will work in a person's life. In one person, he starts over here and begins to work. And he'll get to these things later on. Another person, he starts with these things over here. And he'll get to these things later on in a person's life. And, and so, who are we to judge how God is working in a person's life? We see that we are called to love one another. We see here that Paul noticed this as we work through this. Paul never says whether you should be eating meat or whether you should be a vegetarian. He never weighs in on which is better. Notice what he's doing is he's pointing out these points of contention and saying we need to rise above this and not get caught into these differences of opinion. He goes on now to cite a, another example, and, and that is the keeping of days. Now, you'll remember that the Jews, the Sabbath was the holy day, the Saturday. But Christians used to meet on Sundays. And so these Jews, now that had come out of Judaism, they were coming to church on Sunday, but they were still trying to honor the Sabbath and not working on the Sabbath and the, uh, the keeping of uh, the Sabbath. And so they started to believe that, uh, that that's more holy if you go to church on Sunday, but you observe the Sabbath. You're not observing the Sabbath. What kind of a, a Christian are you? And so here again, these views being pulled over from the old covenant now and kind of finding their ways in. And, and so he says in verse five, one person esteems one day above another, the Sabbath over another. And another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now notice again that Paul doesn't tell us which we should do. What he says is that you should be fully convinced in your own mind, your own heart, that you're honoring God. And if you want to, to honor the Sabbath as a special day unto God, praise the Lord. Honor the, the Sabbath. And if you don't want to, praise the Lord. And every day is the, the Lord's day. But don't start judging others. Don't take your mind. He says, you need to be fully convinced, but don't put your mind onto other people and start judging other people by the standard now that you are feeling convicted uh, or that you are feeling led. And so uh, here we see that, uh, that we are to make sure that we're not violating our conscience. You see, the Holy Spirit is going to convict us personally when we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing in our lives. And so we're not to try and put our convictions uh, onto others. We're going to let God work in that person's uh, life. And, and so we want to love uh, others and we want to love God and we want God to be the one that does the, the conviction. He says, he who observes the day, verse 6, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks. So before you're eating your food, you're thanking God. You're praising God for the provision of the food. And he says, and he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and give thanks. If you're fasting, then you, you thank God, you praise God. He says, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies 
eyes uh, to himself. And so uh, here we see that uh, no man is an island unto himself. We are living out our faith, but we are not to be judging one another. He says, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. And therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. And so uh, here we see that uh, once again that we are in submission to Christ. Christ is the one who died for each and every one of us. And as believers, our sins are forgiven and we are going to stand before God and be welcomed into the kingdom. And, and so uh, there is nobody that is finished and looks completely like Jesus Christ. That is the, the sanctification process. But uh, at the same time, you know, I'm going to live my own life or I'm just going to do my own thing. These are statements that we as Christians, we shouldn't be making because we belong to the Lord. And so we want to be in submission to the Lord and we want that conviction in our lives. And so our identity now is in Christ. It's interesting. Growing up, one of the songs that I really had enjoyed was, you know, Frank Sinatra's I Did It my way, you know, and, and then I got saved, and then I listened to those words, and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> okay, that, that, that shouldn't be, I did it my way, it should be, I did it the Lord's way, you know, and, uh, and so here, that coming to that submission now uh, of the Lord in our lives, but as we grow, and as we are convicted, and as we change, we're not to take our growth and our conviction, and to put that onto others and suddenly make that the standard uh, of a mature Christian. And so this was the issue, that heart of rather than loving one another, judging each other as to who's further along, who's a better Christian, who's living out their Christian faith better. And suddenly we take our sanctification and turn it into a contest and start to measure one another and judge. And what's the end result of that division, division, division within the body of Christ? That's exactly what the world does. And there's no place for that in the kingdom of God. In the world, it's I win. In the kingdom of God, it's we win. And it's a, a we, all of us working together to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of, uh, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul said, each of you have been given different spiritual gifts. Which are, which are the best spiritual gifts? I'll tell you the best spiritual gifts whatever one you have. <laughs> that's the best spiritual gift because that's the one that God chose for you. And in fact, it says that we're not supposed to covet other people's spiritual gifts. God didn't give you that gift, but God is giving you the gift that he willed for your life. And so once again, not even to be coveting or envying the different spiritual gifts that God has given to each of us. And, and so... 
He is the, the Lord over every single one of us. And, and so we are now to just to learn how to love one another and not allow division to enter into our lives. But why do you judge your brother? Verse 10. Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account uh, of himself to God. And so uh, here again, we see that uh, all of us are going to stand before the, the judgment uh, seat uh, of uh, Christ, where uh, we now uh, are going to receive our rewards uh, for the service and the treasure that we had sent up into heaven. He says in verse 13, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. And so back to not judging each other anymore. Now, today in the church, we really don't have the issue of eating meat that's been offered up to uh, idols, but we absolutely still can be very guilty of this same judging of uh, one another. When people come in and they don't look the same way as uh, we do, we can judge them. We see issues like tattoos and gauges and, uh, and earrings and piercings and, uh, and all of these things. We can start to look at a, a believer that's all tatted out worshiping and, you know, and we can start to be judgmental. Or, you know, are you a Republican or a Democrat? I'm not going to sit next to you if you believe this or if I believe. You're both brothers in the Lord. You both love the Lord. Christ died for both of you. Here we are bringing divisions from the world and allowing them or conceptions of the world and allowing those to now start to judge one another instead of loving one another, embracing one another and building one another up in the Lord. He says in verse 14, to weigh in, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean to him, it is unclean. So here Paul lets us know that, uh, that underneath the, the law, everything was clean or unclean. I want you to just imagine that. For, for their entire life, the Jews lived in a world of clean and unclean, that we see that these foods you could eat and these foods you could not eat, that these things, if you touch them, they contaminated you and you became unclean and, and you were clean because you're God's people. Do you know that they consider Gentiles to be unclean? They're clean. The Gentiles are, are unclean. And now we see underneath the new covenant that there is nothing unclean. And so suddenly now, they are allowed to eat bacon. <laughs> They're allowed to eat lobster. They are allowed to eat lobster wrapped in bacon. <laughs> this is something that's unthinkable to them, that you see a lobster is unclean because it's a bottom feeder. And so they're not, their entire life, that's unclean. And now Paul says, you know what? The lobster isn't unclean underneath the old covenant. Why? Because God made it. God created it. God didn't create anything unclean. You see, when he took a people and made a nation, he gave them rules and laws uh, to be uh, his 
certain people. And, uh, and so there were some dietary restrictions. But now once he removed the national privilege of the nation of Israel, he removed the clean and the unclean, which was part of the lens uh, of that time period of the old covenant. And now underneath the new covenant, there is nothing that is unclean. He says, unless it violates your conscience. If you think something is wrong, even if we've got freedom to do it, but you think in your heart that this is wrong and I shouldn't be doing it, and then you go ahead and do it, guess what? That was now mm, sin. If I believe that a person, a Christian, should not eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, if I just got that conviction, I just think that that's just wrong before the Lord. To mix peanut butter and jelly at once and put that in a sandwich and eat it, that, that is offensive to God. And if I believe that, right? And then no one's home and I'm hungry. <laughs> and I get the peanut butter and the jelly out and I make a sandwich and I eat it. <laughs> I just sinned. That was sin to me because why? Because I had a conviction that I shouldn't do it and then I did it anyways. And, and so here we see that there is no, uh, everything is clean. There is no dietary restriction in a person's life. But a clear conscience, uh, that uh, is the most important thing. Having peace uh, uh, over those things, being fully convinced in, in your mind of what your convictions are and then living to your convictions, that, uh, that uh, is important. He says, now I know uh, that there's nothing unclean, but if you consider it to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now, if your brother, yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, that you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. So, in other words, if you're going to a restaurant and you're going to go out to eat with someone that, uh, that doesn't eat meat, thinks that meat has been uh, possibly offered up to uh, an idol, and you order a steak in front of them now, because I've got liberty. I know that even if this was offered to an idol, it's nothing. Everything is, uh, is clean before God. But uh, if I do that, I'm stumbling the brother now uh, that has a, a problem with that. He says, now, now you're being selfish. Now you're using your liberty uh, in a selfish manner. You're not considering uh, the other person's uh, feelings now. You're just walking in your liberty. Do I have liberty? Yes. But do I have liberty to offend uh, others? And he says, no, uh, absolutely not. Uh, and so... We see that he says, and therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Your good is the freedom, is the liberty. But if you're using your liberty in the wrong way, then your liberty is actually going to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. In other words, we want peace with one another. And so our uh, liberty, food and drink, it doesn't eclipse the, uh, the unity and the peace that we are to have with uh, one another and the joy uh, in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. So 
You're at lunch and there's a person that's got conviction that you shouldn't eat pork. That's one of the restrictions that, uh, that they had. As a believer, it just feels like, man, that is just something I'm just not comfortable. And you go to a restaurant, you order a BLT. And, and now they look at it and they're like, okay, he's ordering a BLT. I don't want him to think that I'm less of a Christian than him. So you know what? I'm going to order a BLT also. And, and now he eats a BLT against his conscience because he's following your lead. You don't have a problem with it because uh, you've got liberty to be able to do it. You're stumbling a brother through your own liberty. And so Paul says that now that it's evil for that person person to eat that BLT if they think that, that they shouldn't be eating. And so don't start judging him and saying you're less of a Christian if you won't eat a BLT and you, you're holding on to the law and, and putting that, uh, that, uh, that stigma upon him. He says, it is neither... <laughs> It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. And so here once again we see that loving others and being concerned about others. It's not kindness to be able to use your liberty. Let's say somebody's on a diet and they are just struggling to be a good steward over their body. You go to lunch with them. Seems that all sin happens at lunchtime uh, here, but you know, you go to lunch with them and at the end of the meal, you know, you say they have got the best triple chocolate layer cake here at this restaurant. I'm going to get a piece uh, because I'm not on a diet and I'm able to eat it. I know that you're on a diet, so you know, you don't need to order anything. I'm going to get, I'm going to get some fudge on the side also because their homemade fudge here is just fabulous when you put it, you know, you know, on there. Now, am I allowed to do that? I'm not on a diet. I don't have any restrictions. Yes. Is that loving the person that I'm eating with? No, that, that is the exact opposite. And so we see where Paul is using these examples of something that's not sin. Eating a piece of cake is not sin. But uh, if you harm somebody else uh, with the eating of your piece of cake, then uh, that has taken something that is neither right or wrong and has turned it into uh, a harming. Do you have faith? In other words, do you have faith to believe that everything is pure and everything is clean? You're not caught into the world of clean and unclean. He says, have it to yourself <clears throat> before God. Don't use your liberty to hurt others. He says, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So again, making sure that you have a clean conscience in the in things that you are doing. But he who doubts uh, is condemned if he eats. If he's going, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this. You know, should I do this? Should I didn't do it? Well, I'm just going to do it because I'm, I'm free. But he's doubting. He's not believing that. And now he's violating his convictions. And, uh, and so he says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is a sin. And so the just shall live by faith. And so that connection to God and keeping that clear relationship, that clean relationship before the, uh, the Lord, and then not judging one another. As we close our study here, I want to draw our attention back to verse 19. Back to where it says, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace 
and the things by which one may edify another. And so here again, what are we supposed to head towards? We see that Paul is instructing us in our pursuit. What are we to pursue in our life? What are you pursuing in your life? And, and when we were in the world, we were pursuing worldly ambitions in our life. But now we see that we've been redirected as a servant of God, as a child of God. And what are we to be pursuing? And we see that he says to pursue the things which make for peace. So where we used to live with the, I don't care what other people think, this is what I am going to do mentality and they can take it or leave it and you know and this is who I am and and so you know in in our culture in our nation there's kind of this rugged individual individualistic Americana you know type of a, a mentality and the attitude and uh, and so doing it your own way and being your own person and forging your own direction and all of these things are are, are attributes that kind of are our nation has embodied but here we see as a believer we see that we are to defer to one another we're to prefer one another you remember how jesus at the last supper gets down on his knees and washes the feet of the disciples he says, uh, an example I have set for you. Serve one another. Be more concerned with others than you are about yourself. Be more concerned with others than you are with yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. To be as concerned, we see. For others, and and so over and over we uh, we see this crucifixion of our flesh, this dying to ourself in order that that we can now bless others, minister to others, love others, not judge each other, but to be able to truly set our differences aside and to love. What does that look like? I think that it is so easy to judge. I think that that is part of our carnal nature, part of our depravity that is built into uh, to each and every one of us. Have you ever noticed that it's easier to look at the things that you don't like and to notice things that you don't like about others and not focus on the things that you do like about others? What a difference it makes when you start to look at the very best quality that's in another person. And imagine if people only looked at your very best quality. Isn't that the quality that you would like them to, to look at and is your very best version of yourself versus the, the, the quality that, that you struggle with, the area that isn't quite sanctified with, the, the area that you still got some, some time on the potter's wheel with the Lord to get those things work, worked out in your life. You see, every single one of us is a work in progress. 
And when we come together, we're either going to be looking at the unsanctified areas and judging them. Oh my gosh, can you believe? Did you see the way that she dressed at church? Can you believe that? <laughs> and they would come to me and they'll say, Pastor, can you believe, you know, you, you, can someone go talk to that person, you know, and everything. And you know what my response is? I'm just glad they're in church. That, you know, that's, uh, that's what I'm, I'm happy because you know what? Uh, dress whatever way you want. And as you keep on coming to church, guess what? The Lord's going to convict you of that. And the Lord's going to change your heart. You just, the thing that I ask is this. Are you reading the word and praying? Good. Everything else is going to get worked out uh, in your life in, in due time. Every single one of us was a mess when we came to the Lord. Amen? In one way, shape, or form of, or another. If our life wasn't a complete disaster, then we were prideful that our life wasn't a complete disaster when we came to the Lord. And, and, and so that, that attitude of, uh, of looking at what other people aren't doing right versus looking at what they are doing. I read a quote when I was a young believer, and I've never forgotten. It was from Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa said this. She says, with every single person that I meet, I try and see Jesus inside of them. What, what part of Jesus can I see in their life, in their heart, in their character? She said, and with some people, I have to look really hard. <laughs> But you see what the issue is? You're going to see what you look for. You're going to see what you look for. And if you're looking for the good in others, you're going to see the good in others. But when you're looking for the bad in their life, you're going to see that as well. Paul says the world is trying to measure themselves against one another. They're judging each other and they're trying to keep up with the Joneses and they're trying to win the race. Not in the church. Look for the good. Be thankful for everybody that is growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Let the Lord work with each person on the potting wheel as he's sanctifying each and, and every one of us. And let's just learn how to love one another, leave our differences outside, be unified in the mind of Christ. You see, there's unity in the mind of Christ and the bond of peace. They're going to know that they're my disciples by the love that they have one for another. When non-believers come into the church, I want them to experience a wall of love I want them to experience acceptance and, and joy and peace and unity like they have never seen in, in their entire uh, life because that is uh, our testimony. Living out our faith is how we love one another and build one another up. We don't judge. We should be the most welcoming, the most friendly, the most loving body of people on the face uh, of the earth and when they walk away they will walk away with this there is something different there is something different about what's going on in there than they've ever experienced in their life and that 
is our testimony, living our faith out in practical, real life is testify to the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your instruction and God, we ask that you would continue to make uh, our church a, a family that is loving, that is not divided, that is willing and able to rise above our differences, that, God, that we might truly shine forth the light of Jesus Christ uh, into our city. Bless and help us change us, Lord. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.